All right. Welcome into this week's edition of Gen Z Opinion. I've heard the fans want a name change. What are we going to do about that? I don't think that has the the flow of millennial. No, it doesn't have the nice ring to it. We we need. I think you guys are right. And and actually, nobody said that. It was just a joke. We don't have any fans. We do have fans. I know we have (laughs) at least two loyal listeners. We get some of our loyal listeners on like on the pod, dude. We're going to get. We're trying to. Well, we've already had one loyal listener on the pod. It's Jarrett. Some Q and A type shit where like our our listeners can submit questions that we can answer the questions. Something to get them more involved. Cause shout out to the loyal ones. Yeah, sure. really, really shout out to the loyal ones. They're, they're doing them. They're doing the most and we love it. This one will be a lot shorter. Anybody else listening? This one be a lot shorter. We're going to go kind of a different schedule today. Um, kind of going to do a short recap on college football. Just obviously the Auburn Ole Miss game that me and Ty were at. And then follow that up with the outlook given by the college football playoff that was just released last night. I didn't watch the football playoff release because obviously the Braves are on and they're they are now the World Series champions. Bravos. Bravos. Then we're gonna wrap it up with NFL kind of like we do every week. You guys are familiar with how that goes. We'll go with our picks and break down some of the games, but we only got a structured amount of time here, so let's get going. Ty, give me your idea of how things were on Saturday. Obviously, Auburn got a good win. Obviously, the environment was electric. Um, kind of give me your breakdown, what you saw, what you liked, uh, and then kind of your preview for this Auburn team going into this Texas A&M game off of a great win against Ole Miss. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I thought that the defense was the main thing that stood out to me this week. Um, I feel like we had been – giving up a lot of explosive plays against good teams. And I feel like that we really limited one of the best offenses in the country to very little, if any, explosive plays the entire game. Um, I thought the offense was executing at a high level, high efficiency. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I'm excited to see where where we take this win as we're going into another top 15 opponent on the road. It's going to be another tough game for us, but if we're executing on offense and continuing to limit big plays from AM, especially they're a lot big run heavy team. So stopping the run will be very important this weekend. I'm I'm uh, I'm optimistic about Auburn's last little stretch here, last month of the season. Yeah, I am as well. Do you know what the line of that Auburn AM game is yet? I think it's four. Auburn's favored by four? No, we're underdogs four. Okay. Well, that's interesting because I think that my my first comment was going to be that um, these Auburn A&M teams, I think a lot of people who haven't watched them would compare them to be very similar. 
um, with their two loss, but sitting right outside the pack of the one loss and undefeated teams that are in the top 10. Like some people in some rankings have Auburn at 11, 12, maybe even 10, high enough at 10. I know the college football playoff had them at 13. And then some people have AM ahead of them. Some people have AM right behind them. Um, and so I'm interested to see how this game turns out because kind of depending on who you ask, the better team is uh, different. So I'm interested to see how Auburn's ability to stop the run. I thought um, we did a really good job of that, it, you know, in the first half, especially stopping the run was, you know, definitely something that people looked at this old Miss offense and didn't realize how effective their run game was, but they have a very effective run game with kind of like a trio of backs that they use um, different sizes and different styles. And Auburn really did a good job of stopping them um, up front in the first half. I thought Ole Miss got a little bit of more of their flow back in the third quarter running the ball. And then the fourth quarter, Auburn was able to shut them down. But I think that, like you said, Ty, I think that keeping this uh, Ole Miss offense away from the big play, I think that, you know, people can look at the Derek Mason soft zone coverage that he runs and get frustrated about like the short, um, you know, in routes or slant route throws that are completed underneath. But the fact is, against a team like Ole Miss and against a team like Alabama later on the season, like keeping these guys in front of you is crucial. And so if you can do that and then you wait, it's almost like waiting for your uh, chance to pounce because you are, you're playing them in front of you, playing them in front of you. You're waiting for uh, a sequence where you can get a run stop and then maybe they drop one of those balls and then you have a big third down with the crowd behind you and then, uh, pressing a little bit more and in old message case a lot of those were fourth downs but like you just wait for that one sequence to fall into your favor and then you pounce on a third or fourth down and be really aggressive and you're able to get the ball back so and get off the field which you can that that's exactly my point here is that people were critical of some of the underneath routes that old miss was getting and felt like they were just completing the same thing over and over again there at the beginning of that game. The fact is like we needed to get off the field, we got off the field and we were able to turn the pressure up and get off the field. So I'm inter- I'm really interested to see um, a team like us play a team like A&M because A&M, like you said, loves to run the ball and this run defense, I, I think has gotten better, but uh, it, it's still, you know, it was one of our better units at Auburn, um, but we'll have to see in Kyle field um, how we're able to, Continue this momentum. I'm hopeful about Bo's play, um, and I'm hopeful about how Auburn was able to run the ball this week themselves um, as well. So what do you think um, if, if these two teams are coming together uh, in, in a hostile environment in Kyle Field, what do you think that environment's going to look like for this Auburn opposing uh, fan base? Do you think that Auburn's able to turn out a pretty good crowd and, and get into it, or do you think that Kyle Field kind of shuts them all up with their – their amount and numbers that they have advantage over us. I mean, I think it's definitely going to be a loud environment, but the fact that it's during the day is not going to be as rowdy as it could have been at at a night game. And just the fact that we played at Penn State, at LSU. Both at night. Yeah, both. Yeah, and in the past couple weeks, I just think that we're well prepared for it. It's going to be a tough task. Obviously, it's always tough to win every game in the SEC, but it's just something that we kind of expect to go in there and compete against a good team. And, yeah, I mean, it's obviously going to be excited. They're all jacked up. They beat Alabama and had two good wins against, I think, Vandy and 
South Carolina maybe, and now they've had a bye week. They're pretty healthy, all things considered. So we'll see. But, yeah, to add on to your point, I was really happy too with uh, how we were able to get Tank going this week because if when Tank is rolling like that, he's a force for sure. I mean, people were starting to think that Jarquez Hunter might be a better back than Tank, but, but I think – it was it was um, pretty obvious who the number one running back is. Yeah, Jarquez is Jarquez is very effective, obviously, and he's had a great start to his career here at Auburn. But you can see when when Tank is healthy and hitting the holes and making the cuts that he is capable of, his talent level is just different, and he runs with a force that's that's really different. Um, so it's exciting to see him back. And I thought Brian Harson had a good quote in the post game. Uh, somebody asked him about Bo Nix's progression and you know how he's gotten better these past few weeks and what he attributes that to. And Harson just kind of simply put it that you know Bo is in the middle of everything because he's the quarterback and he gets a lot of eyes on the people. He's an easy target to blame. But the fact is, while Bo has played a lot better and looked great, and you know his fundamentals have been a lot better. And he's he's had great games here in the stretch. He was like the pieces around him have been better and made him better. Um, guys aren't dropping footballs anymore. The O line is not just pass blocking but run blocking. They're able to have an effective run game. Um, the offensive play calling has been fantastic. So really, it's all four, three or four phases of like having your wideouts, your running backs, your O line, um, like all play in. You know, synchronized football and playing well with confidence. And then you have the play calling of Mike Bobo, which I thought was just fantastic this week. Um, I, I, I really do um, think that that is a great way to put how this Auburn Tigers offense has continued to improve is because everybody's starting to I – think, I think for a while there, especially in LS, after the LSU game um, and then the Georgia game with the drops early, it was really felt like, oh, you know, this – wide receiving core is holding back this football team offensively. And I think that the past two games have been crucial in getting that confidence back. You go to Arkansas, get a good win, then you have a good practice, and you beat a good Ole Miss team. And I think that, that those three weeks in a row have been great for these um, receivers' confidence, and it's really shown. And then obviously the priority of getting back to running the football effectively and the O-line really up front doing a great job this week to help tank and to help Bo uh, was fantastic to see as well. Well, with that being said, um, I think we've gone enough into the Auburn Ole Miss. Well, actually, real quick, though, Ty, give me a rundown of the environment. I know we had the, the post on the Millennial Opinion page. What did you think? What? How do you compare it to other games you've been in in Jordan-Hare? I mean, give me give me your experience this weekend. Yeah, this was pretty much – I mean, I think we've had one night game before this, but I think it was Akron or – yeah, I think it was Akron. So this was like the first big-time night game since COVID has hit. And, man, it was packed. The student section was slammed from 90 minutes before kick until 30 minutes after the game ended. Um, it was loud. It was rowdy. There were – alum there basketball team was there i mean it was the light show was pretty pretty phenomenal how they put on that whole production um it was it was intense man i I was i was excited i was pumped up and i'm glad we got to pull out a win for all of our fans that 
that came out to the game. And I'm excited for the next game. Mississippi State obviously is at 11, but I still think we're going to have the juice and the and the and excitement around this team as we just keep getting better every week. Yeah, and I'm, it makes me confident having Brian Harson because say we go in and get a good quality win at A&M this, this weekend, the next weekend against Mississippi State would be your traditional letdown spot. But based on what this guy showed me as a coach so far, he doesn't let that stuff affect his football team. And he's worried about every week getting better in practice and going through your fundamentals and focusing on what's next, breaking down film, and taking the next opponent seriously. So I'm hoping that this Auburn football team has the maturity, because we do have the maturity in certain areas. I hope you have the maturity to know after we win this A&M game that, yes, we're going to be favored heavily in the next two before the Iron Bowl. We can't start looking too far ahead, and we have to get a good win. Because this Mississippi State team has played well, and they got a good win against Kentucky this weekend. And we know that Mike Leach is capable of bringing out the upsets when when they're um, on schedule. So I I think that Brian Harson has the recipe to get these guys rallied, not just for this A&M game, but the next one. But for now, let us – you know, podcasters and beat writers focus on the rest of the season and you just take it one game at a time. So, Absolutely. Uh, with that being said, focus on the rest of the season. For those of you who are not aware, last night not only did the Braves win the World Series, but the college football playoff rankings came out for the first time in the year. And this is kind of the time of year where the AP poll gets thrown out and it really doesn't matter anymore and things start to be decided by this playoff committee. Um, and I would say there's some some surprises in there, guys, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely a good bit. So for you guys who don't know, they rank the teams 1 through 25, uh, but obviously the top four are making it in. uh, And there's some teams sitting right outside of there that are very interesting. So let's go ahead and run down through the, uh, the rankings of the playoffs. At number one, we have the Georgia Bulldogs, 8 and 0, undefeated. Obviously not a big surprise there, coming off another quality win against Florida and what I called a letdown spot on this podcast. Um, next, we have Alabama at 7-1, and one, ranked number two with uh, one loss to uh, at Texas A&M. Then we had number three, Michigan State, coming off of a big win at home against a Michigan team that was undefeated as well. Michigan State is 8-0. and oh. And this is really where it gets interesting. At four, uh, the Oregon Ducks at 7-1 and one have made the first playoff um, I guess mock-up, you could call it, jumping not only Ohio State, who they beat head-to-head, Michigan, who's 7-1, um, but Cincinnati and Oklahoma, who are both undefeated. They managed to jump both of them as a one-loss Pac-12 team. And this is very interesting because we haven't seen a Pac-12 team make the playoff since since the first Oregon years, right? Since that first year with Mariota? Yeah, I believe so. So since then, we haven't seen a Pac-12 team make the playoff. And in this first, you know, four rank or the first four spots on the first playoff uh, ranking, we see Oregon jump not one, but two quality Big Ten teams and then an undefeated Big 12 team and then an undefeated group of five. But to give you guys a rundown of the rest of the top ten, I'll go ahead and run through that. Five is Ohio State at 7-1. and one. Six is Cincinnati at 8-0. and oh. Michigan is 7-1, and one, sitting at 7 Oklahoma at nine and zero at eight. Wake Forest eight and zero at nine, and Notre Dame is seven and one at ten. I'll just sprinkle in the Auburn Tigers are sitting at 
Number 13, six and two as the highest ranked two loss team. With that being said, guys, talk to me about the surprises or things that you thought would happen that you saw happen in this in this playoff ranking and um, how this could be shifted around and, and brought to certain teams' favor and certain teams' demise as the as the, the season continues to roll on and these get updated from a week to week basis. I'm not yeah. surprised that Alabama is is in the top top two, honestly, but I'm shocked that Oregon skips not only you know, Cincinnati, but Oklahoma and Ohio State. That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I I thought Michigan State would jump up in the top four as they're undefeated and just beat Michigan. But, yeah, I'm surprised at the Oregon at four. I'm also really surprised at the Oklahoma number eight behind a one-loss Michigan team. I mean, I know we've seen Oklahoma struggle, but I feel like there's something to say for a team that has yet to lose through nine games. But I think if they are to win the rest of their games and win out, they would find themselves in the playoff. But it also means that one loss for that Sooners team could could be the nail in the coffin for their uh, – chance at the playoff i think one loss would bury them at the yeah. chance of the playoff. but at the same time like this is why college I mean, we've talked about it on here for so long before i just i hate this i hate that cincinnati um the underdog team the of of, of the call of college football this season undefeated you know never really got a shot and is, is highly ranked but you know they're not even not even close, or I mean, they are close, but they they seem so outside the the top four. Don't you don't you guys think? Or am I the only one thinking? Yeah, that that was the next point I was gonna make. Was I'm not a hundred. I'm not sure that I see Cincinnati making it because as the I season goes on, they're not playing ranked teams, yeah. and everyone else around them is playing ranked teams and playing good teams in their conference championship games. And they already are two spots behind the four. And I just don't see them jumping multiple teams to get in the playoff. But maybe that'll lead to the expansion if they get left out. I, I don't really know. It's it's tough for a Bear if you're a Bearcats fan. It's hard to see your team sit at number two all year thinking you have a good chance at making the playoff. And then the playoff rankings come out and you're – a little bit behind the eight ball, it seems. But I do think that they have to start beating teams with a little bit more flashiness and not pulling away in the second half against a subpar two-lane team and people like that. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. This is always the best time of the year, in my opinion, for college was the, is the last four weeks, seeing how the, the playoff rankings shift around with people losing and yeah, I'm I'm excited, man. I, I think it's I think it's really interesting <clears throat> that Alabama's at two here. Um, really, just because if you're going based on uh, quality of wins, uh, I understand Georgia being number one, obviously, and I even understand Michigan State being uh, number three because they've beaten a good Michigan team. They beat a Miami team uh, that preseason was looking very good. Uh, and they've had a couple other good quality wins throughout the season. But if we're looking at the quality of Alabama's win, they only have one win on their resume that is worth noting, which is the Ole Miss team that we've now seen fall to number, let's see. Unranked. Unranked in the college no, no, no. playoff. 
no, no, sorry, 16. Sorry, sorry, I didn't. See oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I scrolled over him, too. Okay, so we see, we see them with one win over the number 16 team. That's their only significant win of the season so far. And I know you can say they passed the eye test, but I mean, if you're, if you're going to criticize Cincinnati for not playing anybody, but they have played a top 10 team in Notre Dame and beat them on the road, that's, a, that's technically a better quality win than Alabama's most quality win. So I don't see the fact that Alabama at 7-1, I know it's Nick Saban, I know they have the talent, I'm not disputing that, but even over a Michigan State team that's 8-0, I think that I think that it's undeniable that Michigan State has better wins on the board right now than Alabama does. And I don't see Alabama's resume, um, I guess, really justifying their number two spot in this ranking. The other one that really doesn't make sense for me is Oregon. Who did they drop their game to? Stanford. Exactly. And, yeah, I, I mean, so what this committee is telling me at this point is that um, what this committee is telling me at this point is that Oregon at seven and one, if they went out in the, in the Pac-12 playoff, makes it in over Ohio State because they have the head to head. Ohio State wins out and wins the Big Ten and Oregon wins out and wins the Pac-12. Oregon's getting in. Oregon's getting in. So you're yeah. telling me that the Pac-12 champion is getting in over the Big Ten champion. And we know what the better conference in football is there. Yeah. Well, I feel like if Ohio State were to beat Michigan State, who is the number three team, they would leap over Oregon. But Oregon would still stay at the four spot because Michigan State would fall. But regardless, you got Oregon, who has one loss, getting in. What happens if Oklahoma goes undefeated? Yeah. I mean, oh, you're going to leave out an undefeated Oklahoma team to somebody That's like Oregon, that, who's yeah. really struggling and – hasn't been getting huge wins and yeah. If you're talking about the and so like it's, it's my, I guess my question is like, what's, what is, what are the requirements? What are the boxes that what's the rubric for the college football playoff? Because tough, if it is, because it looks like they're applying different metrics for each team. Obviously Georgia is number one high and without a doubt better than everybody in college football at this point in the season. But Alabama, it seems like they're judging them on the eye test. It seems like they're judging Oregon on their best their best win of the season. Uh-huh. It seems like they're judging Cincinnati on the eye test. It seems like they're judging Ohio State on uh, on best wins of the season. Like I, I don't know how they're judging all these teams because how do you Cincinnati have Michigan at seven ahead of Oklahoma and Wake, who are both undefeated? After it, it, Michigan, when, just when Michigan lost. has no significant wins None. besides. Um, Besides, and they have their only big game was against Michigan State, in which they lost. Yeah. So yeah. it's either either you're using the eye test, or I guess it's some mixture of both. But it seems like different rubrics are being applied to different teams it's at this bullshit. point, and it's just not very fair. Uh, my thing is that now Cincinnati, first of all, they have to find a way to jump to the five spot. If they're two spots out of the playoff, they have no chance. They have to pray that either this Ohio State team loses. Um, another game. This Oregon team loses another game, and or that Michigan State uh, gets beat up in their last stretch of games in the Big Ten, which could very well happen. But Cincinnati is not making it in or getting anywhere close, and they're not able to at least jump one more spot. I have somewhat hope for them if they're sitting at five that things can get blown up. If like Oklahoma loses, uh, Ohio State loses again, Michigan State loses, like and 
Oregon maybe loses, then then you have a chance. But you have That's to start to jump teams. Teams. It seems like it seems like Michigan State, Oregon, Ohio State, and Michigan, and Oak. Well, not Oklahoma, but all those teams would have to have two losses for Cincinnati to be ahead of them, to take a step ahead of them. They'd have to have the three teams ahead of them take two losses because two are sitting with one loss and they're already ahead of them. So I just thought it was worth breaking down the playoff. Um, I just want to note my my sleeper team in Wake Forest that I mentioned coming off a huge win again this week where they put up a lot of points, now sitting at 8-0 and um, right behind Oklahoma at number nine in the college football playoff. I'm just saying – I think this Wake team is really interesting, and as the year goes along, if they go undefeated, I don't know where they get put. It's just a, it's a very interesting slate of teams, and as you scroll down, as you scroll down, the 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 records are just different for everybody. The record for the number one teams eight zero, number two teams seven one, number three teams eight zero, number four teams seven one, five seven one, six is eight zero, seven is seven one. Eight and nine, or nine and zero, and eight and zero. Like I mean, it's just it's bizarre. Do you think that if Cincinnati and Wake Forest both go undefeated and get jipped out of the playoff, and they'll expand it next year? I don't know if they can do it next year because it's kind of like a a contract deal. But I mean, I think that'll it'll be put into the works for sure. Like of we need to change this. But typically, if you look in the past. Things like these, like multiple, like six undefeated teams or five undefeated teams, typically works itself out throughout the season. So we'll see how it goes and see at the end of the year if we really have a team that's like, oh wow, they just got completely snubbed, or it needs to be expanded. So, yeah. I mean, it also it takes it takes a bigger name schools for that to put be put in place yep, too. Like exactly. Cincinnati and Wake Forest aren't really moving the needle. It'd be really interesting if things stayed just like this. And, I mean, let's say Oklahoma goes undefeated and stays out of the playoff, but they're winning on the, like still on thin ice each game. Like, I don't know. I don't know who – I don't know who gets in at this point, you know. And let's say Ohio State wins out and they're all, and beats Michigan State and Michigan State's only loss is to Ohio State. I, I don't know where Michigan State falls either because obviously right now the playoffs got them at three. So yeah. um, it's just very interesting overall. But that's just our outlook on college football, and there's a lot that's going to be shaken up in the next coming weeks. This is November. This is when things change a lot, and a lot of teams take their first losses, second losses of the season, and it, it starts to kind of get jumbled up as this – month goes along so a lot to look forward to um do you guys want to go ahead and shift it over to nfl yeah sounds good to me all right let's do it ty take it away all right so obviously the big game of the week was the thursday night game where the packers came in shorthanded almost zero receivers a lot of injuries on the offensive line and they came in and made a statement win Beating Kyler Murray and the undefeated Cardinals, both teams now seven and one. Um, this was a really, really good game. The Cardinals tried to fight back at the very end, had a chance inside the 10. A little miscommunication with AJ Green resulted in an interception in the end zone. Um, 
Man, but this was just a, a really fun game to watch against two really, really good football teams. And y'all's thoughts on this game? I know y'all were probably watching as well. I just think that this is a huge win for the Green Bay Packers. I think some of that's been hard for them um, over the over the years with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur um, is going on the road against good teams and winning consistently. Um, obviously, this is their first big game of that during the season, but to do it against the Cardinals, who are the only undefeated team. Um, and also, two, two other points to add to this game. The Packers really did control the majority of this game, regardless of what the score showed. I know they had to turn the ball over. There was a turnover on downs that allowed the Cardinals to get on the field, but they really were going to punch that in and make it a 10-point game. And Jones did punch it in. They called it back. Um, excuse me. Um, second thing I wanted to say about this game is that they were also missing their best players, their best weapons for Aaron Rodgers. Um, that's extremely impressive to me. Um, and I think this just feels like a year where it's like where where the Packers are just like, fuck it. Like, we're, we're going in. Like, we, we are we – this is it. We know this, this might be A-Rod's last season. You know, Aaron Rodgers after the game speaking like, how, you know, how can you not love wearing this uniform? Like, him and Matt LaFleur – Matt LaFleur has now the second highest winning percentage of a coach ever in his first, like, fucking – I don't remember, like 50, 60 games – Whoever is responsible for breaking up the duo of LaFleur and Rodgers, if they if they break up after this season, has made a huge mistake because they're just they're just amazing together. Yeah, I mean, I think that first of all, uh, I told you guys I'd do it, so I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna pull the receipts out because I told you guys to not bet against Aaron Rodgers in prime time. And it, we're waiting on this moment for the Cardinals and it happened, which is inexperience in youth and not being a stapled, um, I guess, experienced core of guys. I mean, A.J. Green, I don't know what the hell is going on on that play. Um, but even if you look at Kyler Murray's stats from this game, um, not great. I mean, two interceptions. Um, I saw him miss multiple throws in this game. Um, I'm not going to be – highly critical of Kyler. I think he's a baller. I think he's a great player, but whenever it comes down to him versus Aaron Rodgers in prime time, there's one guy I'm taking nine times out of 10. Um, Kyler Murray was 22 of 33 for 274 yards and two interceptions, no touchdowns. Um, and so it's clear that the Packers were able to get the Cardinals off their game plan. Uh, not having JJ Watt might've been a little bit of a locker room, um, what, what, how can I say it? Locker room bug kind of negativity negativity around losing one of your key guys never is a good thing because that came out earlier in that in that day. Um, but I mean, Aaron Rodgers is getting to the point now where he he's relying on the guys around him in an awesome way. And like it just goes back. It's crazy to me to see this Packers team that week one gets blown out by the Saints. And he just says, I mean, after the game, he's like, it's just first game. Like, this is a long season. And then they go seven straight wins and just rail them off, beating some good teams on the road. It's the same as, like, when he said, like, I think we can run the table. And they were, like, five and seven. And then they finished out the season nine and seven. And it's just, like, you can never count them out. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you here. So that's no, you're good. No, because you're, you're totally right. It's exactly that. But, like, credit to Matt LaFleur, too, to 
like not relying too heavily on Aaron Rodgers. Like he's 22 of 37. I know he threw the ball a lot, but he had through 184 and two touchdowns, but he's just like, he's giving him easy throws. I mean, Aaron Jones had seven catches for 51 yards in this game. Like just checking it down to the right guys, AJ Dillon. I mean, I've been really imp- impressed with Matt LaFleur's ability to like use two backs, no matter who he's had the past two or three years, like Aaron Jones has been a beast. We know that. And, um, but he's always had this little scat back addition to that, whether it was Jamal Williams the past couple of years, and now he's got this AJ Dillon guy, and they're able to either get good carries or get catches away, you know, get catches from other guys. Randall Cobb stepping up in this game with two touchdowns. It, it, it's just interesting to me how the Packers were able to suit up, even with even <clears throat> with the injuries they had on the offensive side of the ball, and make the place what they put, make the best of what they had. Um, I think it attributes. Matt LaFleur's connection with the team and his ability to lead this team as a, as the head coach. And then obviously Aaron Rodgers just being a bad man and like being stone cold in the face of pressure. Like he, it doesn't matter to him. It doesn't matter. And the Packers, it, you're right. I mean, it almost has like this just odd feel to it that it's going to be a year where they started out rough and they might keep winning games like these that are a little weird, but like, don't let them get hot because you know how it can go. It feels like the Packers like, Feels like they're done fucking around. I don't know. That's a weird way to put it, but we can move on to the next game. This was an amazing game. One of the best Thursday night games I've ever seen. Yeah, it was a really good game. Um, moving on to the next one that I have, <clears throat> I got the Titans and Colts. This was a slugfest back and forth. Went into mm-hmm. overtime. Obviously, the Titans hit a game-winning field goal in over- overtime to beat the Colts. Carson Wentz had a few boneheaded mistakes in the final minutes. One was a pick six in his own end zone pretty much in regulation. And then he goes down and ties the game up to go to overtime and then throws another interception to seal their fate in overtime. Um, But I think the main thing from this game was obviously Derrick Henry's injury. This is a huge blow to the Titans. Yeah. That's their workhorse. That's their motor. Yeah. Um, I don't really – well, it's going to be interesting to see. I think uh, we will finally see uh, what Tannehill's really made of. I know we've had a little bit of debate between me and y'all about what tier quarterback Ryan Tannehill is, but this could give him a chance to really step up. Obviously, they have a good hold on the division right now. So we'll see. I think Adrian Peterson can definitely come in and help them a lot. I also think McNichols will have a big role. I think he's a little bit overshadowed just because they had the best running back in the league. Yeah. But it's time for A.J. Brown to step up. It's also time for Julio Jones to get back from injury and start stepping up as well. It's going to be interesting to watch the Titans down the stretch. But y'all's thoughts on these two teams? Yeah, Um Listen, everyone can say that running backs don't really matter that much. Don't get it twisted. Derrick Henry being gone is going to hurt this team. They they live off of Derrick Henry. He's their workhorse, like Ty said. Um, but I do think the Titans will still maintain control of this division. And I think they should be wide against the Colts. Um, they don't make bonehead mistakes. Um, Ryan Tannehill, obviously a talented quarterback, not necessarily necessarily a tier one. But I think he's better than Carson Wentz. And I think he makes better has better decision-making than Carson Wentz. And he proved that on Sunday. Uh, Carson Wentz is making plays that you can't really make. Um, plays that 
got him kicked out of Philly, and that was just not what you know, not what the team needed at all. And um, I think he has a, sort of like a stain on him that, that, that no one can just really figure out how it got there and why it won't come off. But that's what it feels like with me with Carson Wentz. I just feel like there's a stain, and it just kind of appeared out of nowhere in Philadelphia last season. And now everyone's like, everyone just can't can't forget what they saw. Um, they, they, we're, all, we're all able to forget really quickly his, his MVP-like season. And they went to the Super Bowl, but he got hurt. But um, recently, Carson Wentz has just deteriorated, and he showed it again this Sunday. Yeah, you guys said at the beginning of the year that the Colts have to go find him a new quarterback as soon as possible. And I kind of challenge you guys on that because I think Carson Wentz is serviceable. Um, but these kind of bonehead decisions at the end of the game really, really hurts you. And now that I'm looking at this Colts team and how they've developed throughout the year, Jonathan Taylor, one of the best running backs in football. We know the, we know the offensive line is good. Michael Pittman has turned into a true number one receiver. Um, he's a beast. Uh, and then you have other playmakers like Naheem Hines. And we know the defense has good, good solid foundation with Darius Leonard and those guys. They're, they're a great unit as well. So, you kind of look at this Colts team sitting here at three and five, and the question might be, yeah, what's holding them back? And it has to be Carson Wentz at this point. Every other facet of their team seems like they have um, the right people in the right places. Frank Reich, I believe, is a good coach. I, I think he's a, a good offensive-minded uh, head coach to have at the helm of your team. And so it has to be Carson Wentz and his bad decision-making that's holding this team back. How different would you guys feel, though, about this game and then Derrick Henry's injury, if the Colts have been able to pull it out. If they were sitting here at four and four and the Titans had just taken that loss and were at five and three with Derrick Henry being out, yeah. it would be a completely different situation. And that's really just kind of be. been the that's been the story of the Indianapolis Colts this year. They've been just one, they've been so close to winning a lot of big games and being in the mix. And they just haven't been able to make that ground back. And I think that. At this point, it might just be a little too far away for them, especially in that division where we know uh, Jacksonville and the Texans, who the Tennessee Titans are going to continue to play throughout the year, are not very good. And then, obviously, they have already played the Colts twice and beat them twice head-to-head. It's hard to make ground back up when you've already taken those two losses early in the season. So I think the Colts just kind of defines their season and this point they're at. And it's time to start thinking about the future and who you want as quarterback of your franchise. I agree. Absolutely. Um, before we move on to the next game, I just got a notification. Aaron Rodgers has tested positive for COVID-19 and is that. out against the Chiefs. So that might affect our picking a little bit, I would say. Um, the Patriots at the Chargers. My Jordan Patriots finally get over the hump. Get a, get a win against a good team. We've been battling against these good teams all year and couldn't pull it out, but we finally make get a big play from Adrian Phillips, a little pick six at the end of the game. It was huge to knock off a team that's now struggling a little bit, four and three. Um, I mean, not terrible record, but I think they've lost three of their last four, I want to say, three of their last five games. And um, – but, I mean, the Chargers have lost to good teams. I mean, the Patriots are a decent team. The Cowboys and the Ravens, they played the Eagles this week. I expect them to probably bounce back. But this was huge for the Patriots to stay stable and still have a chance to 
fight for a playoff spot at four and four. I mean, I know they have a little bit of an easier stretch coming up. So, yeah, I mean, dude, Mac Jones, that offense is developing um, pretty well. And New England, just this game from, from kind of what I took away from it is, you know, kind of just put their four line, defensive linemen in the line of scrimmage and said, you know, fucking run the ball. Um, if you if if you want to if you want to run the ball against four, um, by all means do it. Um, but we're gonna have everybody back there ready for Justin Herbert to throw piss missiles and get him off of his off of his game. And it, and they did a good job of doing that. Uh, Mac Jones, the offense, they're good. I think New England could could uh, potentially fight in for a playoff spot. And I think that they're a sleeper team. Yeah, I mean, I've been really impressed with this Patriots team and how they've progressed throughout the year. I mean, like you said, Ty, they've been in a lot of close games, and I think that's, that is the true showing of Bill Belichick's great coaching is, like, it's hard to rally a team when you lose close game after close game. Like, it gets demoralizing fast, and this team can really quickly feel like they're not that great of a football team. But sticking to the game plan, sticking to the scheme and knowing you had the right personnel in certain positions, like that's the true genius behind like motivating these guys week to week. And it just seems like the Patriots know every week that they're going into these games that they have the uh, the coaching and the scheme that's going to be better than the other team. It's just about they're able to execute or not. And that having that confidence is inspiring and it's able to lead you to wins like these where people took you as a – um, people took you as kind of a long shot to win a game, um, but go out and to, to L.A. and win a good football game. So impressive win by the Patriots. The Chargers, I just think that it you you I think it's going to take Justin Herbert taking that next step. And what I mean by that is like we've seen it from different quarterbacks at different points. Like I think that we've kind of seen it from Dak this year is like not relying on them too heavily. And just like taking your making your plays, like not dropping back fifty times a game. And I know you only threw thirty five times this game, but like you can't be too centric on the quarterback play. Like you have to, like like we just talked about with Aaron Rodgers using the other guys around him. Tom Brady's always been um, great at that, like just giving you what the defense is going to give you, and then making plays when you need to, or making plays when they're when they're open and available. And right now, it just feels like Justin Herbert is being asked to do everything for this Chargers team. Um, he had a really bad pick at the end of that game, but I, th- I still think he's a great quarterback. But I think that the next step for Justin Herbert in maturity, not just as a football player, but like in the mindset is to know, I'm going to take what they give me. I'm going to read the defense. I'm going to run the ball when we have to, and then I'm going to make plays when they're there. And I'm not going to force the ball in places. I'm not going to throw the ball 50 games. And part of that is the coaching scheme with Staley as well. So, um I think this Charter team is just young, and they're going to continue to grow. I agree. I think the Charter will be fine. They're just going to yeah. be sort of in a lot of dogfights going on for the rest of the season. Yep. Um, the next game I want to talk about is the new quarterback in New York, Mike White, stepping up, <laughs> stepping in, and beating the the almighty hot team. This it's kind of like this is a trend now. Whenever a team gets a huge win, like a few weeks ago, the Bills got a win. The next week, they lose. The Ravens get a win. The next week, they lose. Now the Bengals, they're the hot team. Everybody's talking about them. 
You go on the road to the Jets and you lose to Mike White throwing for 400 yards. This is uh this is a head scratcher for me. I didn't watch this. I just kind of saw the final score and I was like, wow. Um, I don't know if y'all watch this very much, but obviously the Bengals couldn't get much going on offense, especially on the run game. And they were just allowing Mike White to pick him apart and drop 34. So, yeah, what no, hell of a bounce back win after getting 50 dropped on you by the Patriots. Yeah, no, it sounds like the Jets were kind of embarrassed after New England's outing uh, last weekend. They kind of took that to heart. They uh, they played hard. I have no idea who the fuck this Mike White guy is, but he uh, he popped off. He, I know he had a lot of yards and um, a lot of touchdowns as well. Um, but what I got from this game was Burrow kind of had to do it all on offense for the Bengals um, through – I forgot how many times he was out here it was. 34. And um, – I know that they had they had trouble getting getting going on the ground game, so shut your creds to the, to the Jets defense. This is just one of those games. Though, if I'm a Jets fan, that just looks good with Robert Sala as my head coach. I, I feel more confident about him as a head coach when I can see that he can win these type of games and get a team fired up after an embarrassing loss like that. So if I'm a Jets fan, that that's good to hear. But um, they still suck. Yeah, yeah, I think. <laughs> This game's pretty interesting. Sorry, my AirPods just died on me. Um, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, yeah you're good. I think this, I think this game's pretty interesting, um, mainly because this has been my criticism of the Bengals all year. I mean, they've played good defense at times, but I don't really know the playmakers they have on that side of the ball. And, I mean, this Jets team – is very, very young. And I thought that Robert Sala had a good quote at the end of the game. He was like, we're a really, really talented football team. We're just really, really young. So we're going to have games like these and like games like um, their win against the Titans. They're like, he's like, when we surprise people. But the fact is, it's not a surprise. We have the talent to do it. We're just young and we're going to have games where we get, you know, stomped out because we don't, we don't execute properly. So like with each game, this team's going to get better. I think the Jets are, I mean, interesting enough. I think they have talent, so they're better than they have been in the past couple of years. But I think that the Bengals, like defensively, you can't give up thirty-four to Mike White. You just can't. It's just a fact. If you're going to be a, if you're going to be a playoff like contender, like not just a playoff football team, but like a playoff in the playoffs, contending for a Super Bowl. You have to be able to beat teams like this, and not only that, but you have to be able to stop teams defensively like this. Because in that division alone, or not that division, in that um, in the AFC alone, you have Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Pat Mahomes, Justin mm-hmm. Herbert. You have to be able to stop teams from scoring points, and it doesn't seem like right now they can do that. So uh, I'm interested to see how this Bengals team develops. It's Joe Burrow, we know the offense is dynamic, but you got to be able to stop people. And when you play the Jets, you got to be able to stop them. Just running through some more scores. We had Panthers beat the Falcons 19 to 13. Bills beat the Dolphins 26 to 11. Niners beat the Bears 33-22. The Eagles, ouch, 44 to 6 on the Lions. We all took the Lions too. We all did. Um, Seahawks get back on track 31 to 7 on the London Jags, and the Rams handle the Texans 38 22. Um, another big game was the Steelers Browns. 
Yeah. Um, this was a huge game for the Steelers to get this win, to get to four and three. It really, I mean, a couple of weeks ago we were saying they were a w- loss away from being completely done, and now they're four and three. Yeah. Um, Five and three, I think. I think they had a bye. Let me look. Uh, uh, four and three. Four and three. But yeah. still, um, this was a huge win. I watched the end of it. It's kind of tough, man. Baker was out there trying. He, he he threw about three or four balls that got dropped in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And that's hard to come back from against the Steelers defense that doesn't like to budge very much. But full credit to the Steelers. Can't take away their win. That was huge for them. The Browns are now struggling a little bit. Got to get back on uh, their rhythm that they were on. We'll see. Let me see what their upcoming schedule. Y'all can talk. I'll, I'll go ahead and take this game because I, I did watch this game, and I'm going to tell you exactly who this game falls on, and that is uh, Kevin Stefanski is who this game falls on. Um, this Browns team has the best O-line in football, and against a pass rush that we know is good for the Steelers, he let Baker Mayfield drop back 31 times um, with a hurt shoulder. He only gave the ball to Nick Chubb 16 times, okay? Ran the ball just over 20 times total, but with with Kareem Hunt out and Chubb knowing he's going to have the workload, you have to. And I watched this game, and he did not stay dedicated to the run like we have seen him do in games past. And as the game went along, it was early early downs in the football game or in the football – in each series, he was going more and more to – Baker trying to throw the ball downfield, make plays. And I understand you're going to throw the ball early in downs. That's good. It's effective. It's great to keep teams off the you know natural beat of what you're doing offensively. But he was trying to take too many shots of Baker downfield against a too good of a pass rush for the Steelers team and not staying dedicated enough to the run. He's just asking Baker to do too much. And then very end of the game, you know, Jarvis Landry with two crucial drops, um, one towards the sideline, that would have been a big grab. And then the one on the fourth down that ended up really icing the game for the Steelers. Um, I don't think this Cleveland ta- Browns team is bad by any means. They're really banged up. They're one of the most hurt teams in football. But I also thought they were one play away from being in this football game and probably winning this football game. So credit to the Steelers for doing what you had to do. I think these teams are pretty much dead even keel. Uh, the Steelers were way more effective running the ball. Like Najee Harris touched the ball 26 times, 26. He ran the ball. Like that's what I expect to see from this Browns team too. And the Steelers offensive line and pass uh, blocking is no or run blocking is nowhere close to the ability of the Cleveland Browns. There's no reason the ball shouldn't have been uh, carried more by Nick Chubb. Um, so a little disappointed in Stefanski's scheme there and him staying, I don't know, dedicated to what they do best as a football team. Hell, give it to Dearness Johnson. He seemed like he was capable last week. I mean, I think he ran for like 150 yards. He only had four carries this week. Yeah, I didn't really look at that either, but that's that's a that's a weird stat there. Only ran 20 times. I think that's that's odd for the Browns. Yeah, um, Harris, you kind of hit everything in my head here with this game. Uh, Browns are a little bit in trouble. They they were going through some adversity. It'll be inter- interesting to see these two teams fight for that third spot or potentially second spot in that division. Um, but, I mean, we'll see, man. The Browns are just banged up. I'm really not too worried, but they're they're definitely pretty banged up, and it's affecting them, their whole team. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, speaking of banged up, Jameis Winston, ACL and MCL oh. out for the year. Insert who? Trevor Simeon to save the day. I think and that Jason Hill is going to be back this week, though. Beat beat the the Tampa Bay Bucks. Simeon was sixteen to twenty nine for one hundred and sixty yards and a touchdown Ooh. as the Saints knock off the yeah, hot yeah. Tampa Bay Bucks to if they win this week against who do they play the Falcons then they will be first in their division shockingly ahead of the Bucks so that was a very interesting game I didn't watch too much of it but I know that the Saints have kind of now got they have Tom Brady's number a little bit they've been beating up on the Bucks in the regular season um but I think this Saints team and their their defense is something serious. And yeah. obviously the Winston injury really hurts. The Saints team is good. They don't need quarterback to come in and throw 50 times and win the game with an arm. They need a quarterback to come in, not turn the ball over, check it down, and they're gonna win a lot of games. So it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, they, they always give Tampa Bay fits. Um, they've been giving them fits since last year when they got Brady, um, especially at home. So um, this game doesn't surprise me. Both of these teams will be fine. Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting game because of what you said, Ty, that the Saints seem to have Tom Brady's number in the playoff or in the regular season. Um, but, you know, it's just other teams throughout the years have had his number in the regular season. I don't see it developing into a playoff um, problem. The Bucks, man, I mean – they look like these New England Patriot teams. Like they lose some games through the year. Some of them are a little surprising, but I mean, I think that they're just going to get better and get better. And it's just a week to week thing. Uh, this Bucks team is definitely got a problem with Mike Evans and his head case um, against Marshawn Lattimore. Like I don't know what the hell Marshawn Lattimore did to Mike Evans, but you would think that he killed his whole family. I mean, you would think that you would think that Marshawn Lattimore committed some type of really violent crime against Mike Evans. He hates him, and he is in his head every time they play. This man is in Mike Evans' dome. I know Mike Evans had the touchdown this week, but I think he had two catches for like thirty yards. Like Marshawn Lattimore clamps this man every time. And credit to the uh, Bucks for knowing that and having it in the game plan to feed Chris Godwin as much as possible because I think he had like eight or ten catches. Yeah. So like, they had the they had the right contingency plan, but like Mike Evans, you gotta get it figured out, man. Like you're an elite receiver. Like this guy shouldn't be swimming in your dome like that. It's just a fact. And it's just it's but it's funny to watch. I don't know. I don't know if he needs to take off a week off next time they play the Saints, pull a Calvin Ridley but or what, but just just don't show up. Because you're taking the season off. <laughs> well either way, Mike Evans uh, next time you play the next time you play the Saints, think differently before you go in because yeah. this dude's all up in your head. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last game we want to talk about. A little quick two games. Uh, Cowboys at Vikings. Oh, yeah. Cooper Rush, another backup quarterback coming in, leading his team to victory with a a win over the Vikings. And oh, and I know you've been harping on the Vikings and. I have been had some faith in them as well. I think I picked them to win this game outright. Yeah. This is a this is a tough loss to yeah. a Dakless Cowboys. 
and this is just one that you got to get at home. You've basically got everybody healthy, Dalvin Cook, Thielen, Jefferson, Cousins, and you just put up 16, and I think it goes back to Kirk Cousins. I mean, Harris, you called it. Never bet on Kirk Cousins in primetime, and they couldn't get it done. They just didn't quite do enough. Cooper Rush makes big-time throws on the game-winning drive. Nice nice throw on the fade to Cooper, and they pull it out and six and one now. Yeah, no, this tells me a lot about the Vikings. It also tells me a lot about the Cowboys. The Vikings are definitely kind of frauds. You just can't put up 16 points when your defense is playing well like that against – a team with a backup quarterback, <clears throat> you just got to put up more points. I don't want to put all the blame on Kirk Cousins in the prime time situation. I think we have to give a little bit more credit to the Cowboys defense. But, um, yeah, you definitely do have to put up more points than that. Um, and also the Cowboys are one of the best teams in the NFL. You can have a backup quarterback go on the road and um, win in prime time on the road against a, against a good team like the Vikings. Um just says a lot about your defense. It says a lot about the the, uh, the balance of your offense and how there's not one man that's greater than the other. Obviously, Dak is a big factor, the biggest factor in that offense. But the fact that Cooper Rush can come in and win like that, that says a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I took the Cowboys, and I didn't flinch whenever um, Cooper Rush came in. I didn't text Ty and try to change my pick. I just I let it ride. And I'm going to be honest, I was a little scared because – the Cowboys' offense wasn't as effective. Cooper Rush made some really great throws, obviously, towards the end of that game and leads them to a, a touchdown and a game, a game-winning drive. But it really looking besides – I mean, they, the receivers were all over the place. Mari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb had a field day. But they really couldn't get any run game going with Zeke. And it, it's because there wasn't really a threat. They probably were stacking the box, making Cooper Rush throw a little bit more uh, during the game, just putting the pressure on him. And then – but on the other side of the ball, I mean, Kirk Cousins, he he didn't turn the ball over. He was 23 or 35. It's not awful. But it's 184 yards and just kind of dink and dunk. And, I, I mean, Dalvin Cook didn't have a great game. He only had eight, 18 carries for 78. Wasn't, wasn't great. Um, and then the best receiver was Adam Thielen, who had six catches for and a touchdown. I mean, it just wasn't – it wasn't like a super large offensive output for the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that, like you said, Owen, this attributes more to the, the Cowboys' defense and what they're doing on that side of the ball. I think the Vikings, offensively, we expected them to put more numbers up in this game. And it, it's it's impressive to me that the, the Cowboys were able to get this win without Dak and defensively really rely on their team uh, more than – they've had to in the past. So it yeah. shows you that they can win mul- multiple ways and not of a good football team. Absolutely. All right. Last little game here before we move on to our picks that we will run through quickly. Um, the Giants and the Chiefs, the Chiefs finally get another win, but it wasn't pretty. I still have a little bit of the iffiness with the Chiefs. They're – their offense is really still struggling. The Giants played the same deep zone, kind of like an Auburn defense where you're letting people catch it in front of you and making them have 14 play drives. And you saw on the first drive, Mahomes looked calm, was ready. He was dinking and dunking down the field and still ended up throwing a, an interception in the end zone. Mm-hmm. And it's just trying to force it 
just too much, I think. But they do hold on, and now they're playing the Packers this week with no Aaron Rodgers. So things are kind of turning their way, but we'll see. They still got to win. I'm not going to count out the Packers just yet because you never know what could happen. I thought this is is a good game. Uh, The Chiefs, uh, I didn't get to watch all this game, uh, but I got to watch the second half. Um, And I thought the Giants played – I mean, they were just pulling to to, to win this game, uh, to do anything they could, you know, trick plays, running receivers this way, jet sweeps, uh, receivers are you know, doing flea flickers, whatever it was. The Giants were trying to do everything they could on offense, knowing that we don't have a Saquon Barkley or a Kenny Galladay right now. Um, Giants defense looked better. And the Chiefs just don't – they just seem like more of an average team the more that I keep watching them. They don't seem like an elite team, um, like a top 10 team. Um, it, it, the more that I watch them, the, the more my mind on them, my thoughts on them change. Um, yeah, that's really that's that's really all I got to say about this game. This is the first game I think I've seen all season where I would see players' breath when they would start to breathe, and I, it got me excited for fall. But that's just something I noticed. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, good news for the Chiefs team. Your defense got some stops, and that kept you in the game. Bad news for the Chiefs team. Against the Giants. It was against the Giants, and they're such a bad, banged up offense right now. Like it's not like you were playing against good competition. So, <laughs> yeah. jeez, um, I think that it's pretty interesting. I-, I was looking on Pro Football Focus. The Chiefs' offensive linemen, a lot of them have graded have been graded very well, and they've been playing well up front. I think the Chiefs, just like what I said about Herbert, about taking what they're going to give you. I think you got to run the ball more effectively. These teams are going to play this deep zone on you. I think you have to rush the ball more, more, more times in the game. Uh, and you don't have to have Pat Mahomes dropping back and throwing 48 passes. I think you can stick it a little bit more um, with your running backs and try to mix things up or use some screen passes or, you know, whatever it, it may be, but just try to get away from what's scripted already, which we know Pat Mahomes is going to throw a bunch um, so try to maybe get away from some of that and and at least allow your run game to thrive a little bit more. I mean, combined, their running backs weren't bad. Darnell Williams and, and Derek Gore, I think they carried the ball 24 times combined for uh, just short of 100 yards and a touchdown. So it wasn't awful, but I, I think that if this, if this Chiefs team could commit more to um, running the football and using their offensive line pieces, it would be impressive. I agree. All right, well, moving on to our picks. Let's go through the week eight results. We had Harris in first place at seven and eight. Owen right behind him at six and nine. And I had another just stinky week (laughs) at four and 11. Just awful. Um, But the standings now for the season, Harris is in first with 73 and 49. I'm in second at 68 and 54, and Owen is 65 and 57. So still fairly pretty pretty close race between all three of us. But now we're moving into the picks for week nine, which first we're going to have the New York Jets at the Indianapolis Colts. Um, Two kind of opposite teams of what happened last week. 
terrible loss for the Colts and a huge win for the Jets, but the Colts are minus 10 and a hook at minus home. 10. Minus 10 and a half. <clears throat> that is shocking to me. I'll say this. I think that the Jets' success was a little bit attributed to the Bengals' defense. Uh, I think this Indy defense is a little bit better and some stops. I'll take uh, oh, 10 and a half. Prime time. Yep. I'll I'm take Indianapolis. I'll take Indianapolis. I'm taking the New York Jets. I'm taking the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets to cover 10 and a half. All right. Next game, Houston at Miami. Miami is minus six and a half. Um, two one and seven teams. But I just don't see Houston competing. I'll take Miami. You're taking the cover? Yeah, I'll take Miami minus six and a half. I'm done picking the Texans. They fucked me two weeks in a row. I'll take Miami. Tyrod Taylor might be back, though. Actually? Yeah. That might change my pick. If Tyrod's not in, I'm going to take Miami. Actually, I'll just take Miami out. Yeah, I'll just take Miami. All right. Next game. Denver at Dallas. Dallas is minus nine and a half. Um, I don't know if Dak's going to be back, but I'm still taking Dallas. I'm still taking Dallas as well. Ten and a half. Yeah, I'll take Dallas. We know this defense is good. Is it at Denver or at Dallas? At Dallas. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take Dallas at home. Ten and a half or nine and a half. Sorry. Um, Minnesota at Baltimore. Baltimore coming off of a bye. Um, they're minus five and a half, and I think uh, I'm going to take it. They're coming off a loss and a bye. This is one of the hardest games for me to choose. Off a loss and a bye, I'll take the Ravens also at five and a half. Then they're going to be prepared and bouncing back from that bad loss. Bengals. I think the Vikings are going to be able to move the ball against the Ravens. But I'm going to take Baltimore coming five and a half. New England at Carolina. Carolina is plus four at home. I'm taking New England. I'm taking New England as well. Yeah, I'll take I'll take New England. Buffalo at Jacksonville. Jacksonville's plus 14 and a half. Um, shit. I want to go with Jacksonville, but they're so freaking terrible, dude. I'm going with the Bills. I'm going with the Bills as well. They're not. I'm, I'm trying to make up some ground. I'm going with the Jags. This will be that freaking game where we turn it on on Sunday and the Jags are up 17 to three. I already know. <laughs> I've got. Um, uh, Cleveland at Cincinnati, another huge game for both of these teams in their division. Cincinnati's minus two and a half. I'm going to take Cleveland. Yeah, I'll take Cleveland also. I mean, I think this team's banged up, but 
that Cincinnati defense after last week, maybe looking a little vulnerable. Browns get back to running the football. I'll take Cincinnati. I'll take Cincinnati. Being Cleveland. Oh, sorry, Cleveland, yes. I'll take Cincinnati. All right. Next, we got the Raiders with – oh, we didn't touch on this, but Henry Ruggs is no longer on the Raiders. Um, unfortunate situation there. It's terrible. But yeah. the Raiders moving on, playing the Giants. The Giants are plus three at home. Um, I'm going to take the Raiders. Ooh, this is a tough one for me. Yeah, Honestly, I mean, I, I think the Giants have heart, man. They they've played they played well, but I'll take uh, I'll take the Raiders. They're a better football team. You need Gina to cover three. All right, Atlanta at New Orleans. New Orleans is minus six. I'm gonna take Atlanta. A little bit of quarterback change up here. I don't take Atlanta to cover six. I don't give a shit. I'm done taking the Falcons, too, because they suck. Matt Ryan is done in this league. He's done. He choked them that game last week against the freaking Panthers. I mean, it's time for Atlanta to start searching for a new quarterback. He hasn't been the same since he won the MVP. I'll take the Saints to cover. Um, That defense is going to eat him alive. At least Atlanta has the Braves, Shaw Braves. I'm taking the Saints to cover fucking fucking Falcons. <sighs> All right, uh, the Chargers at the Eagles. The Eagles are plus one and a half. I'm taking the Chargers. I'm taking the Chargers as well. It sounds like a pick. I wish just make that one a pick. Yeah, but it's a it's kind of weird line, so it makes me Where? not want to take at the Chargers at no. the Eagles. Yeah. This one's tough for me. That Chargers defense doesn't look very good. And I think the Eagles found something in their run game with their like with Boston Scott and those guys and changing it up in their backfield. I'm, I'll take the Eagles. Jordan, Jordan Howard, old Bears guy. And they've yeah. kind of been doing a running back by committee, and it's been working a little yeah. bit. I'll, I'll take the Eagles, man. They scored a lot of points last week. I think that Chargers team is uh, defensively isn't getting any stops. So I'll take I'll take the Eagles. All right. Now we got Green Bay and Cincinnati. I mean Green Bay and Kansas City. Mm. And I will say this was a pick'em when I was making this, but since then it has now moved to Kansas City minus eight with no Aaron Rodgers. Um, ah man, that's so tough. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go with Kansas City. I just I've never seen Jordan Love really play in a big time matchup, and the Chiefs need a win, so I'm gonna go with the Chiefs. Oh, this is a tough one. Uh, I just went on a rant about Matt Lafleur being a good coach and them using other pieces of their offense. Devontae Adams will be back. Um, I I'll, I'll take Green Bay to cover eight. I'll take Green Bay to cover eight as well. Arizona at Arizona at San Francisco. This is a tough one. San Fran plus one. So this is basically a pick them. I'll put that as a pick. San Fran plus one. Yeah, but or just pick the winner. We'll see how the Cardinals deal with 
Yeah, I'm going with the Cardinals. I'll, I'll I'll Cardinals. I'm going to go with the Cardinals. <clears throat> you said what, Harris? Cardinals. I'll take the Cardinals. Bounce All right. Tennessee at the Rams. Sunday night football. Rams are minus seven and a half. Uh gosh. Um geez, no Henry. Addition of Vaughn Miller. I'm gonna go with the Rams. Oh god, no, 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 no. Seven and a half. Seven and a half. The Rams. I'm going with the Titans to cover. I don't know why, but I am. This is a tough one. I like the Falcon or the Titans. They've done me right. <laughs> Three weeks in a row, they've hit for me every time, but this Rams team is good. And I picked against them last week, and they burnt me, so I'll take the Rams. All right, last one. This was a weird line. Chicago at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is minus six. I guess that defensive front might give Justin Fields a little bit of issues, but I, I like the six points. I think that's too much. Pittsburgh doesn't like to win in fashion, so I'll uh, I'll um, I'll take Chicago. Oh, dude, that's this is a tough one. Is this one night football? Yeah. yeah. Is it at Huntsville? Yes. Yeah, give me the Steelers. This is a really tough one for me. I'll take um, – is that Bears defense banged up? I don't know. Let me look. I, I Oh, God, this is a tough one. Yeah, I'm taking the Steelers. Six. Oh. I'll take the Steelers. I'll take the Steelers. Leo Mack is questionable. Eddie Jackson is questionable. Uh, I'll take the Steelers. All right, that wraps up our pick. So we'll see if Harris grows his lead or if me and Owen can start to creep back. I'm hoping to bounce back from back to back. I think like five and four win weeks is terrible. All right, well, that wraps up this week's edition of Millennial Opinion. And uh, Owen, you get you some sleep, man. You seem a little drowsy. Yeah, sorry for the low energy today on the pod, boys. I'm just extremely exhausted. Waking up to record at 6.5 is fun. It's not all that easy, though. But um, All right. Yeah. Well, we will be back next week um, to update you guys on everything. War Eagle, let's go get a win at a Yeah, War Damn. And, mm-hmm. uh, Big time. And who else you got that's cheering for this weekend? Big time. Uh, who in the NFL? LSU. Giants, baby. Cover three against the Vegas Raiders. Oh, I forgot LSU plays Bama this weekend, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Tigers. All let's the Tigers. Go. Let's go Pats and let's go Browns. Come on. We need those. All right. All well, right, peace. peace. See you. Peace.